the cancer is still spreading. I'm afraid there's nothing else we can do. There is one person who might be able to help. Our program is a two-pronged treatment outside Mexico City. The results have been stunning. She saved my life. You're in very good hands with us. After that, what happens then? Your whole life happens then. John Kramer. According to these scans, the tumor was never removed. How much time do I have? Months, at best. I still have a lot of work that needs to be done. Pretended to cure me, but what I have planned for each of you is very real. The only thing I have not provided is your anesthetic, but trust me, you will want to remain alert. You pick John Kramer? Please, don't hesitate. Place a big enough piece of your cerebral tissue into the glass enzyme tank. This will save your life. This is not retribution. It's a reawakening. The choice is yours. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Fresh Cuts. This is Mike, and with me, as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? Greetings and salutations, evil masterminds. Yeah, I'm doing pretty well, Mike. How you doing? Pretty good. First episode of October, and it's going to be full of horror at the theater and VOD, so should be a fun month. Uh, we'll we'll figure out soon how all of us felt it kicked off with the movie we'll be talking about. But uh, until then, uh, let me introduce Don and Ellie. What's up, Don? Yeah, what's going on? Always happy to be here. Great, cool. All right, so should be no surprise. We already mentioned it, and it's the new theatrical. We are covering Saw X or Saw 10, whichever you prefer, uh, on this week's episode of Fresh Cuts. So I'll get right into a synopsis. A sick and desperate John travels to Mexico for a risky and experimental medical procedure in hopes of a miracle cure for his cancer. Only discover the entire operation is a scam to defraud the most vulnerable. So you might be you might have heard, heard that synopsis and been wondering, hey. What's going on? Well, this even though it's a sequel, the tenth in the franchise, timeline-wise, it takes place between the first and second. So yes, we have a a John Kramer slash Jigsaw centered story with this one. So uh, 
we'll find out, I guess, if that's a good thing after all these years kind of going back to uh, uh, some John Kramer stuff. So we'll kick it off with general thoughts on Saw X. Venom, what did you think of this movie? As a big fan of the Saw franchise, I kind of wanted to curb my expectations on this one. I, I haven't been real happy. I didn't hate Jigsaw, which was part eight, I believe, but Spiral, which we, we reviewed on this show, I'm pretty sure most of us panned it. I, I remember hating it greatly. Uh, so obviously I wanted to curb my expectations a little bit on this one, and I watched it twice this weekend. I've, I've seen it for the last two days in a row, and I am happy to report that as a Saw franchise fan, I fucking love this movie. This movie was so much fun. This movie, I feel like, is almost everything that, not just a fan of the Saw franchise, but a, a fan of Jigsaw as a character is really looking for. I mean, John Kramer is front and center more than he's ever been. I, you could make the argument that maybe in Saw 3, he maybe got more screen time than this movie, you know, because he was on the operating gurney for the majority of that film. But to actually see John Kramer both in, you know, non-horror situations and then, of course, you know, uh, back to his old ways, it, it's just so refreshing to me. I mean, they flat out made Jigsaw the protagonist of this film, and I'm on board for that. Uh, usually I'm not a big fan of that. I'm not a big fan, especially when it's a franchise and, you know, the, the villain, if you will, has been solidly established as the villain. Um, uh, the most recent example would be like uh, Three from Hell, uh, the Rob Zombie film. I was not a fan of what they did with the Firefly flan uh, family in that third act where they basically turned them into the heroes. But for whatever it's worth in this movie, I absolutely loved that John is solidly the protagonist and he is front and center throughout the majority of this film. Another really cool thing that I like that this movie did that a lot of other Saw movies haven't done is telling the story in a different order. With most Saw films, they basically open up with these people already in the traps. And then as people get dispatched, we learn more character development, um, backstory, things like that, until we get the final reveal of how it brings everyone together and, you know, what John's intention was with this series of traps. Here, we get a slightly different formula where we actually see the, the players of the game, if you will, doing their terrible things ahead of time. So when we actually get to the traps, there's so much more of a guilty pleasure sense to it. You know, uh, there, there's no question whatsoever, oh, is this person innocent? Does this person maybe not deserve what they're getting and maybe John's a little overboard? No, with this movie, we solidly understand that all of these people deserve their fate, whether they're able to get through their game or not. And for me, as a longtime Saw and Jigsaw fan, I, this was just... This was the Super, Bowl, the Super Bowl of vindictiveness for me. I absolutely love this movie. Um, this movie also has a, a, an emotional core that no other Saw movie has ever had. To see John at his weakest... Um, you know, to see him grasping at straws, trying to find, as he says in the movie, those magic beans that might actually cure his stage four brain cancer. Um, so, you know, just to see that kind of vulnerability was so refreshing. And to see the relationship between Master 
and <laughs> Padawan for a better, <laughs> for lack of a better term. I'm kind of in Star Wars mode lately, so forgive me for that one. But, to, you know, to see that relationship between Jigsaw and Amanda, that it's not just sadistic, it's not just revenge, that there's an, there's an actual emotional core there. There's a relationship, like... It seems like Jigsaw's players who survive their game genuinely care and love this man for what he's doing and what for what he did for them. Uh, we've seen it in you know plenty of of the uh, sequels in the past where you know survivors of the game come back and become disciples of Jigsaw, and to actually see the start of that, to see Amanda, his first disciple kind of learning the ropes and and even doubting herself a little bit, not thinking that she's going to be able to handle all this when John is gone. And to see, you know, the mentor mentality kind of kick in for John and, you know, reassuring her and boosting her and lifting her up. It's just, it's such an amazing relationship. And it is, I'm so glad they put this on screen. Um, the traps, I mean, the traps are the traps. I, I'm not going to sit here and say that any of the traps like blew me away. Yes, they're, they're cringy. They're, they're, uh, you know, vomit inducing at times. Um, maybe a little laughable at times, but then other times, you know, I, I saw people in the theater literally squirming in their chair, trying to bury themselves in, in their seat as deep as they could when one particular trap was happening in this one. And, um, you know, then the reveal at the end of this one isn't like, obviously, it's not going to be as monumental as what we saw in the first movie or even some of the other sequels. But it's still, like I said, for a Saw fan, it is so incredibly satisfying. I walked out of the theater both times with an ear-to-ear grin on my face. I honestly have very little negative to say. Um, The first act is a little slow, admittedly. And there is one trap in the movie that's kind of uh, a daydream, if you will, like not a trap that actually occurs. So some people might think that's a little bit of a cop-out, especially because of the placement of that trap in the movie. But I'm okay with it because it's always good to see what's going on in Jigsaw's mind. And, you know, that's how his mind works. He visualizes traps ahead of time to make sure, you know, that he's got all contingencies planned out for and that, you know, people aren't going to escape, you know, without passing their test, blah, blah, blah. So, like I said, I... I didn't think the first act was too slow. I know some people are going to think that. I'm not going to argue with those people. Obviously, some folks just don't like character development. Here, I think it's vital to really find out what these people at the clinic are doing and what their individual roles in this uh, whole operation is. I felt was just so much more satisfying when we actually get to see them in the traps, you know, rather than questioning, you know, should they be there or not. So, Before I start repeating myself, I'm just going to cut myself off here and say that this, in my opinion, and this is a hardcore Saw fan talking, this is a top three entry in this franchise to me. It is 100% top three. Um, It may be a little bit of a bold statement, especially after only seeing it a couple of times, but uh, the satisfaction that this movie gave me, the absolute ear-to-ear grin that it left me with, um, that can't be denied. So, yeah. I absolutely love this film, and if you're if you're even a fringe fan of the Saw franchise, I would highly recommend checking this one out in the biggest screen you can find. 
I saw this on one of those smaller IMAX films, like not quite IMAX, uh, Limax as some people call it. Um, but I still had an absolute blast. The movie looks great. It doesn't look nearly as pretty as Spiral did, but I'm okay with that. I'm, I'm glad that they went back to the kind of grittier filmmaking that made the first entries in this franchise so great. So, um, yeah. I have very few complaints about this one. I got a funny feeling uh, we're going to be talking about this one, or at the very least, I'm going to be talking about this one at the end of the year during our top 10 show. But for now, I'll leave it at that. All right. Let's uh, kick it over to Don. What are your general thoughts on Sonic? All right. So uh, I'm not the biggest fan of the franchise. Um, I, I do like the original. Uh, I, I do enjoy the first three to an extent. Um, I think that's pretty much where, um, you know, a lot of people are where that's kind of, you know, like the obvious three in the series and then four through six, I, I don't mind them, but I, I have very, very, very little um, formalities with where each of the films are. Um, they all kind of just blend together, and I, I, I can't remember which trap is from which film or what twist is involved in which film, or, you know, who's who, who's the, you know, new disciple, who's the new lead. Um, a lot of that stuff just gets um, fogged together and mixed up. I don't remember final chapter. Um, I, I know I've seen it. Um, I Thing, I, I do remember liking it more than four through six, but I, I can't tell you much more than that. It, Jigsaw to me is a complete uh, mess. I, I don't remember even anything about that. Um, uh, you could quiz me on that one tomorrow and I would probably fail it. Um, it I, I, I literally do not remember that one at all. Um it, it it came out just before I, I started um, writing reviews, so yeah, I don't have that to you know really jog my memory like I do with the others, which um, is probably why I'm a little bit more familiar with those. But uh, yeah, J- Jigsaw, I, I know next to nothing about. Spirals, complete dog shit. So let's uh, move on from that. I'm kind of on the fence with this one. Uh, I'm a little torn with it. I, I do agree. I do like the setup. I, I do think the change of format with, it, you know, getting the reveal first and then, you know, dealing out the traps at the end. I, I think that's a kind of refreshing twist. It, you know, lets it follow, you know, a little bit more of a familiar entry path. You get to, you know, know Kramer a little bit more. You get to know Amanda a little bit more. It, it feels a little bit more traditional and it's not, you know, like, you know a paint-by-number sequel where it's, you know, ex-villain puts, you know, blank parolee, you know, blank participants in, you know, such and such traps and just, you know, let the magic go from there. I like it, but for me, I I actually miss the the guessing. I, I do miss how everybody came together. I do miss what everybody would bring to the table with the reveals, the clues, all of that propelling the movie forward where that to me was more interesting than what happened in the traps because I, I can't remember the traps. The traps all blend together. They don't really mean much to me. You know, I, I really can't remember, you know, like I said with jokes, I, I really can't remember each of the traps from the films individually. They all kind of blur together. So I, I don't really care for that aspect of it. I've always really cared more about 
the revelations, the reveals, who's in charge, who's the mastermind, who's pulling the strings. And knowing what we do here from the very beginning where, you know, it's obvious John and Amanda are doing it, to me it takes away a lot of the suspense from the fun. And I, I know that Venom doesn't feel that way, but for me it takes away the fun. And I, I really enjoy going on that part of the ride in the sequels. And that's one of the reasons why one of the reasons why I really enjoyed them. Even if they kind of blend together the whole ride that they go on with those with that approach for me made them a lot more fun. And then the other thing for me, and this is just a franchise, uh, you know, nitpick. I, I don't know, you know, how you guys feel about it. I really need to see more about why that they're disciples of him, because I really don't understand how he's able to hold these influence over these people. You're still killing people. You know, you're technically, you know, not doing it yourself. You know, the letter of the law states that, you you know, you're not doing it yourself. You're putting them into contraptions. And you're still forcing them to make actions that will alter their lives positively or negatively. I still don't understand how that makes people want to follow him and his advice. Like, you know, I mean, for one thing, he's dead after the what? He dies at the end of three, right? Yes. Okay, yeah, because I, I couldn't mm-hmm. remember if he, yeah. I couldn't remember if he died at the end of three or if he that was the beginning of four. Okay. Because, yeah, I, I know that three and four are kind of sequential with that's, you know, like the thing, but I, I couldn't remember for sure. So he's dead at the end of three, and there's still five or six more after that. So his influence is not there anymore. He's not directly speaking to people. He doesn't have, you know, the one-on-one coaching that he did with Amanda or I believe Hoffman was still around. He doesn't have that anymore in the franchise. So I, I don't see how he's able to keep gathering new disciples and new people following him. That to me, that just never really made any sense. And here it, it kind of comes out in spades where, you know, you're still seeing like, you know, the mentoring scenes where they're going through the traps. To me, I think that should have been something that we saw more of in the course of the franchise. And it sticks out to me here because that's something that, it actually made me more aware of it than at any other point in the franchise. That's kind of the reason why I'm bringing it up is the mentorship that we see here is something that I wish we would have seen throughout the franchise. And it just highlights to me how he never really had that kind of a relationship with anyone else other than Amanda. So it's one of those where, you know, like this is not really necessarily a aspect of the film that brings it down. It's just something that it just kind of, you know, sticks out to me in the franchise is it highlights an aspect that I've never really known about, but it it finally put it put it into words for me and it allowed me to say it. So, you know, it's something that I'm just bringing up right here is that it the mentorship, the mentor-mentee relationship was never really established until this point. And for me, it made me realize that that was something that should have been included in some of the other sequels. So I don't know if that's something that I can, you know, retroactively apply to the films now or not, but it's still something that for me, it just brought up just over the course of the film. But uh, yeah, uh, I really don't have much else to add. Um, I mean, you know, deserving people get stuck in, you know, gruesome looking traps that twist and, you know, pull them to pieces or, you know, all the other, you know, gruesome stuff that I'm pretty sure we'll uh, learn about in the Spoiler section that I'm not going to cover in detail here. Um, they're fun. They're 
kind of inventive, but not necessarily like, you know, show sealers like we got with the first couple. So, yeah, um, I really don't know what else I can really add to it. Um, I, I enjoyed it. You know, it's not like I really pulled, you know, it's not like I really hated myself, my time watching it, but it's still one of those where I'm not really a fan of the franchise as a whole. So, yeah, it's a good film, but it's still not one that really completely, truly blew me away. And uh, I, I do agree with Venom. It's probably going to be one that uh, a lot of the franchise fans are going to enjoy more than just, you know, the casuals that, have, you know, heard the rumors about it being, you know, like the big Halloween, you know, blockbuster, you know, the big blockbuster thing. But, uh, yeah, uh, I think I'll uh, just leave it at that for now. All right. Um, before I get into my general thoughts, I think on I think one of the points you bring up are one of the criticisms. I think they actually they didn't not in this movie, but I think to, or not a, a criticism, but to one of the points of the of the points you were making. I think they actually did like in the later Saw franchises once um, Amanda and Jigsaw are no longer around, and it's like uh, Hoffman. I think they do get into some of the or they use some of the story to show that like even though Hoffman's technically like a disciple, he doesn't really follow through necessary with like some of the same principles as uh, Jigsaw because even though some of the traps throughout the franchise they seem impossible to like actually uh, be successful at, I think one of Jigsaw's things was like he always claimed at least like okay, yeah, this is tough and it's going to be gruesome, but you at least have a chance. And I think the difference is like Hoffman, even though he's sort of a disciple, he started making the trap so ridiculous that like nobody could realistically ever get out of him. So like it was like, okay, he might have been under Jigsaw's wing, but once Jigsaw was dead, he kind of just went off on his own rogue like beliefs. I thought we brought that up in Spiral. I thought we brought that up when we covered Spiral. Uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, but I thought Spiral was the one that did that. Oh, they might have addressed it directly. Um, I just meant like through his actions. Now it's been yeah. so long since like the later entries that it's hard to remember all the details because it really starts getting like a little convoluted as they go. Um, but like as far as me with the franchise, like I think ones like an absolute classic, but I think the first three make a really solid trilogy. And that's why I was kind of excited going into this one about the timeline that it was going to be, because it almost felt like kind of a side quest to what was going on during the, uh, the time period of the first few uh, saws. Um, and for the most part, I did enjoy this one. I liked it. I, I For me personally, it does doesn't reach the heights of the first three, but I would still probably put it like right behind those first three if I was ranking everything. Now, with that said, I didn't. Some people went and like watched a marathon of them before. I didn't do that because once I knew the timeline of this and it wasn't like a a timeline sequel, I just was like, well, I don't need to watch like six, seven uh, jigsaws. Like, I it just wasn't necessary. So I didn't – the entire franchise isn't fresh in my head, but I've seen one through three enough times to to know that, like, those are, like, my ones I put on a pedestal. And this one is not quite as high, but it's still probably better than most of the rest of the franchise to me. Uh, for the most part, I like the story. I like the fact that the focus was back on 
John Kramer slash Jigsaw. I like that we got more mentoring stuff with Amanda. Um, I like the traps. They kind of went back to a little more simplistic, at least initially, because my one, my one, if I have one criticism of this one, it's that when we kind of get the setup for the finale, that whole scenario, it kind of has the pitfall of like what the later, uh, what we ran into sometimes in the later franchises where it's like, okay, this is so over the top that like you really had to count on a lot of things going right for this to happen. Now, I'm willing look at generally speaking because I still found the movie enjoyable but that's probably what keeps it from reaching the level of those first three in the franchise because I thought those were a little more grounded although three does kind of three is kind of I think where the start of the over the top traps get but um, I would overall say two. I uh, two the one in the house uh, I mean because two is know, a gore but, fest Two is like the gore fest of the franchise. It's got the biggest body count. It's, it's really, like, I've always felt I always felt four was the was the bloodbath. Oh God, four well, is my least favorite. It's the one I've watched. The gore, the, so you might be right. The gore, uh, the gore aside, though, would you say the traps themselves get like more bombastic as the uh, franchise goes? Because like two, I, I remember some of them. Like the hands inside, the th- or Amanda gets sure. thrown in the needle pit. I remember that right. one. There's the hands of the burglar guy in the mm-hmm. glass case. For I, that was a girl. Um, and there's, there's a girl gas. in the glass case. Okay, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's the house getting gassed. Um, but uh, man, now I lost my train of thought because there's so many damn small movies to think about. Oh yeah, and I, another thing, it's not really a spoiler, but anyone that goes to see it in the theater, make sure to stick around for a mid-credit scene. Won't say what it is, but just... Uh, it's it's worth it, just to, for how it ties into some of the franchise. But um, what else can I say? Because I think between the both of you, I'm kind of like right there with you guys. Um, I, I like the... Uh, I like the purpose. I like that... Uh, Kramer's kind of like challenged, too, on his philosophy in this. And it's, not, it's not 100% clean what he's doing. Like, it, it's... It's like you understand. I, I like when he's not just giving um, a ringing endorsement for everything he does because philosophically it's like, yeah, these people probably do deserve some type of punishment for what they're doing, but is it is it this? And does John Kramer even deserve to be like the judge and jury? So I like when they when they go back and forth on that. And that's something I think the the later fran- or the later entries in the franchise lost because. You know, Jigsaw's gone technically after the third in the entry, so you don't get a lot, a lot of that um, back and forth, or just you know his philosophy being challenged. Um, and man, I've read that Tobin Bell's eighty, man. What a performance, you know, because it can't be easy for him at that age to like even do the role. And like by the end of one of the traps later in the movie, the, his look and everything is just like wow, he he. It shows he he probably has a passion for it. Like I know the cynical person would be like, hey, it's it's just a paycheck going back to the well. But he, I always feel he, it, I I kind of feel like John Kramer or excuse me, Tobin Bell to the Saw franchises is like Brad Dorf to Child's Play. It's like he he never feels like he's phoned in when he does these movies. Uh, he always feels 
loved. It's it's something he holds near and dear to him, and he he doesn't ham it up. He he gives a performance that you you want and and would expect, and he doesn't really disappoint in that character. And it would be it would be very easy to do that by by the tenth entry for him just to kind of show up and okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna do the voice. But no, he he handles it with care every time, and uh, yeah, I. I I'll leave it at that, but I, I, I enjoyed the movie. Uh, definitely upper half of the franchise for me. Just a few things that keep it from being like elite level, but that's not really, I don't know, I wouldn't even call it a criticism. It's just when you're trying to uh, rate all the entries in a, what, 12, <laughs> a 12 movie franchise at this point, but uh, uh, I'll leave it at that for now. Back it's, to it's, it's called Saw X. <laughs> yeah, it's still 10. Just ten. Oh, yeah, that's right. Got, because seven one, and then eight would be yeah, Jigsaw, then Spiral. Yeah, one okay, through six yeah. are okay. yeah, one through six are numbered. Seven is fi- is final chapter. Eight is Jigsaw, and nine is Spiral. Yeah, you're right. Okay, so yeah, scratch that 10. twelve ten. <laughs> All right, back to you, Venom. Another thing that I really really enjoyed about this, and kind of getting more emotionally attached to the character of Jigsaw is that the wrongdoing in this movie is done directly to him. He is the direct victim of the wrongdoing. In past movies, it's been people who've been, you know, part of an insurance scam or a guy trying to, you know, uh, not have to take the blame for a car accident that he caused. Or, But, you know, there's various things here and there. This one was directly involved with him. And I, you guys know I don't watch trailers, but I did watch the trailer for this after I saw the movie. And I like that there's that line in the trailer of, of all the people to double cross, you decide to, you know, double cross Jigsaw. Um, I love that because it's exactly the motivation for this movie. These people <clears throat> kind of decided to do this. And what's funny, too, what makes our antagonist in this film – uh, Dr. Peterson, even more hateable, is that she fucking knew who John Kramer was before she decided to do all this. Later on, she admits about how she found out who John Kramer was after he had sent in his medical records and everything else. And I'm just like, wow, you still, in your in all your infinite wisdom, decided to try to steal a quarter of a million dollars from Jigsaw. Yes, he's an old man. Yes, he has stage four brain cancer. But just the decision making there is so and the gigantic balls that are at display here are just amazing. So that that level of like personal touch to it, like a, a personal vendetta just makes it that much more satisfying for someone like me. I I disagree with Mike. I think this movie is absolutely elite. I'm not that big a fan of Saw 2. Saw 2 is okay, but Saw 2 is where the franchise just went crazy with traps and gore and everything else. And it kind of lost the great storytelling that we get in 1 and 3. I I love the stories of 1 and 3. 3 being potentially my favorite of the franchise. Absolutely love the relationship between Jigsaw and the doctor who he's forcing to try to save his life. And then, of course, her husband going through the series of traps and all the different players in the game, blah, blah blah. Two, you guys, anybody who's listened to me long enough knows I love my stories. I love storytelling. That's why I love Terrifier 2 more than Terrifier. Terrifier 2 is an actual story to it. Terrifier 1 is just a gore fest for gore fest's sake. Nothing wrong with that, mind you. I'm not 
downplaying Terrifier. I still enjoy that movie a lot. But I like stories. I like good storytelling. I like believable storytelling. And this movie, to me, felt like one of those first three films. I mean, hell, it saw 1.5 for all intents and purposes. Um, obviously, we're seeing it 20-plus years later, but it still basically saw 1.5, and it had the feel of an early Saw movie to me. The, all the green and the blue lighting throughout, the flash cuts, the the weird... Not slow-mo, but some of the weird zooms and things like that that James Wan gave us in the early films. I mean, that stuff returns here, and I like that. I'm I'm glad that – it's funny because when I saw that Kevin uh, Gruter was directing again, and he um, he actually directed one of the better ones. He directed Saw 6. He also directed Saw 3D Part 7, but uh, 6 was definitely a return to form for this. So when I saw that the director – was the director of 6 and 7 returning to the franchise, I actually got partially excited. Then I look down a little bit farther on IMDb, and I see the writers, Josh uh, Stolberg and Pete Goldfinger. And guess which entries they wrote? They wrote Jigsaw and Spiral, uh, two of probably our least favorite. As much as I hate Spiral, uh, Part 4, easily my least favorite Saw movie, but that's, you know, that's a conversation for another day. But so I had like equal parts excitement and then kind of worrying about it because, you know, a director that I agree with, but maybe with writers that I don't agree with so much. But ultimately, I think they came together and gave us a great entry into the franchise. Like I said, it's just guilty pleasure left and right. Just I mean, for me personally, just watching these people that have ripped off, what, 34 different cancer patients and collected over $8 million over an eight-year span. Yeah, I'm, uh, fuck that. They deserve death. I, Mike, I, Mike made the statement that there's maybe a moral ambiguity there, that maybe they don't deserve what they're getting. And maybe he was speaking about previous chapters. In this film, fuck all five of the people that get in traps in this one. I'm serious. Fuck you. All the families who with broken hearts, with missing family members. Nah. Fuck that. I, this movie was such a guilty pleasure for me. I was smiling. I had a fucking Cheshire cat smile on my face every time one of the traps went off. And I wanted more. I was almost upset that there wasn't that much because with some chapters, you know, like two, for example, you know, it's a high body count. Uh, four or six, I forget which, also had a high body count. But now this one has a low body count ultimately, but the – the people that are being dispatched, they're being dispatched in such satisfying ways and for for nefarious acts that definitely, at least in my opinion, warrant death. Because if Jigsaw didn't come along, these people are just going to continue to do this. They're going to continue to give cancer patients false hope. They're going to continue to take money from these people. Not just from the patient itself, but from their family. This is money that the family is going to need after their family member passes away from cancer. And now that money is gone to this dumb bitch in Norway. <clears throat> Excuse me. So, yeah, for me, this is like, <laughs> for this franchise, this is the pinnacle of just pettiness and vindictiveness, and I fucking love it. Anybody who knows me knows I love this kind of stuff, and I'm endlessly happy with this film. I may see it again in theaters because I don't know if I can wait for a streaming release to see it again because, like I said, I've seen it twice in a row, two days in a row now. 
absolutely fucking love it. And I know I'm probably going to be on the higher end between the three of us here, but, you know, ultimately, what can I say? That's just how it's going to be. Um, I mean, what else can we talk about that's not spoiler talk? Amanda, did anybody did anybody think that maybe they should have tried to de-age Shawnee Smith a little bit? Like, I just saw mm. the first three Saw movies, mm. and she looks endlessly yeah. younger in Saw 2. <laughs> Giving her a better wig, too. <laughs> oh, God, the hair. Holy shit. I apologize to Courtney Cox for all these years talking about her hairdo in Scream 3. We have a new title for worst horror hairdo. This fucking hairdo was awful. I don't know what her thought process was. Maybe it's easier when the hair is that short and ugly, it's easier to get the mask, the pig mask on and off. I don't know. But my God, what a terrible decision. Granted, it's not like Amanda's going to be going to salons or anything to get her hair done as a disciple of Jigsaw, but Jesus, that hair. Anyway. <laughs> um being set in Mexico, I mean, you know, it's a setting. I don't know that they really took that much advantage of the Mexican setting. It was kind of cool to see some of the sights early on when John was taking his cab ride um, into the facility. But other than that, I don't think they really took too much advantage of the scenery and just where mm -hmm. they shot. I'm not even sure if this movie was actually shot in Mexico, other than those scenes that are very obviously like in Mexico City and whatnot. Um, but, you know, um, again... Cinematography is fine. Uh, editing is good. Uh, the score, as always, Charlie Clauser's score is great. I I wish we got more of the shithole anthem in this one, you know, the classic Saw theme. We only get it at the very end after the final trap is set. But it does, it definitely did still give me goosebumps a little bit to hear it for the first time in the film. When they pull that bag of money and you see that timer and then the music kicks in, and it's like, ah. Because at that point, I was actually starting to get a little frustrated. There was, you know, without giving too much away, there is a point where John is, where the players of the game get the advantage. They get the upper hand on John and Amanda for a short time. And obviously, as a, you know, a, a viewer in the audience, I'm getting mildly frustrated. Like, John, come on, how did you let that happen? Blah, blah, blah. And then we get that last little trap, and... Oh, it like I said, just ear to ear fucking grin. Absolutely loved it. Um, hopefully that wasn't too spoilery for you, but yeah. Hey, there's traps, and then there's no, traps that's how that's traps. how that, that's how pretty much every Saw movie ends. I yeah, mean, exactly. In a, in like they they usually set up like uh, a big kind of a big production to end the movie, and then there's usually like a reveal slash twist, like an aha moment. Yep. To, to me, that that's in this movie. That was kind of like the where I had to suspend a little more disbelief, which is okay because the the movie itself I thought was still really good. So I was kind of like willing to like overlook a little bit of that. But like if you if you isolate just that out, it's like okay, you are kind of pushing the boundaries of like I like so you. You successfully plan to get through this ordeal in order for that. To, it's like okay, okay, I, I get what you're doing here. <laughs> Do I uh, believe that like the chances of that successfully being pulled off? Probably not. But it's a Saw movie, so I'm not gonna like hold it to exactly. too much. I mean, that's that's just part of the franchise at this point. Convenience is part of the franchise. All the players have to do exactly what Jigsaw predicts.
expects them to do. And if they do something different, it fucks up the entire plan. Um, we've never seen a major example in the franchise of one of his plans going south. They all go south to an extent, but then, you know, we kind of get that the, the, the big rap at the end where, you know, you realize, oh, John was in on it the whole time, blah, blah, blah. Um, so I've accepted it at this point. Like I said, when, when, it, when it happened in the movie, I, I almost I wanted to raise my hands and fucking woo the first time I saw that. I'm that much of a Jigsaw fan that I want to see him. I don't want to say fan. I, I How can I put this? Because I, I hate it, you know. I don't want people to ever think that I'm rooting for Jason or Michael or Freddy. Yes, we watch these movies with that, that sense of guilty pleasure. We want to see some great kills. We want to see some shitty characters get um, dispatched. But ultimately, I'm not necessarily rooting for the villain. But this movie, this was one example where, yeah, I am rooting for Jigsaw. I want to see him succeed and... You know, but like I said, the movie left me incredibly satisfied, both with traps, with kills. Yeah, maybe not the most satisfying traps, but the fact that there's less of them in the movie is going to make it easier to remember. Like, I'm the same way with Don. Um, I can only remember two of the traps from Jigsaw. One of them, because it's like one of my favorite traps ever, the laser collar. I fucking love the laser collar. Um but ultimately, Don is right. When they just bombard you with traps and death and everything else, it's kind of hard to keep track. With this movie, we really only get, what, one, two, three, four, at the most five traps. I guess in one surprise one at the end, I, I feel like that's a much tighter package. It, you know, it makes it that much easier to consume, that much easier to remember. Um, I'm definitely, you know, I'm going to be jazzed about this movie for a while. Um, like I said, just because of the way you feel about the characters that are in the traps, um, the fact that it's more, you know, it's still cringy, but in the most satisfying way, again, because of who the people in the traps are. So, I mean, what can I say? Bravo, Tobin Bell. I, I'm so happy he was able to be in this. And even at 80 years old, I mean, ultimately, he's playing a cancer patient. So if he looks slow, if he looks like his hands are shaking, it all fits the character. So it's, it's all done really, really well. When you, to look at Tobin Bell in this movie, you don't think we're probably going to see him in another Saw film. I mean, he just, you know, he's a lot slower. Um, the voice will always be the voice. Ultimately, he has voice work for the rest of his life. That's that's never going to be an issue. But um, I'm sure, you know, long filming days have to take a toll on an 80-year-old body, regardless of what shape you're in. And, you know, he actually does have his shirt off in one scene. And for an 80-year-old, he's not in terrible shape. I mean, honestly, I was kind of surprised. Uh, you know, I, I tend not to think too much about the age of actors when I'm watching them in a movie, but... Yeah, thinking about the fact that he's 80 and, you know, seeing him in that scene with his top off in front of the mirror, it's like, well, that's not bad. Shit, I hope I look that good when I'm 80. I don't look that good now, so I should shut up. <laughs> uh, but anyway, yeah, anything else we want to talk about before we get into the walkthrough? Um, I can't think of much. Yeah, I, I think I'm okay. I would be curious, though, like where the franchise would go from here if they make more entries because like the way this the way the franchise wrapped up if we don't count like um spiral <laughs> uh like dr gordon tech like i don't know if uh 
uh, what's his name? Carrie, Carrie Elwes. Elwes. Yeah. Uh, I I don't know if he'd even be interested in like coming back, even though technically he got the keys to the Jigsaw Kingdom right. at the very end. <laughs> yeah. So like. I don't. I don't know if like the only way to go forward with the franchise is to keep doing. And you know, Tobin Bell, like I said, the dude's 80, so he might be willing to keep coming back. But you know, uh, the <laughs> the circle of life might prevent that eventually. So I'm kind of curious. Like the only way I could because I don't know every. Oh, go ahead, Dom. No, I was just going to say, every time every time I think there's a swan song for the franchise, and then they come out with a new one, so I'm like, let's. I wonder what they would cook up next. My thing was that I think the only way to do it is to do what Spiral did, but just not do it as shitty, where it's copycats, and then just work it until you find someone someone that clicks, and then just keep going from there. I would love to see something with all the living disciples getting together. I mean, you know, Hoffman's still around, the doctor's still around, um, any any other survivors who might still be around. Let's get them together. Let's let's make it I, I wouldn't <laughs> I don't know, this might be a little bit over the top, but the franchise is already fairly over the top, but actually make it like a secret society. Like bring them all together and you know, and just have them get together and just decide. Okay, this is the group that we're going after now, or this is the next group we're going after. Blah blah blah. Uh, maybe have a different uh, mastermind, if you will, for some of the future chapters. I mean, there are stories there to be told. And like Don said, Spiral in concept wasn't bad. It was just terrible in execution. The story was terrible. Some of the performances were terrible. It's just all around not a very good film, whereas this one yeah. is an absolute return. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's a good point about Spiral. I think like a, like a police procedural based around a copycat, it's not the worst idea. It's just Spiral. Yeah, just not do it as shitty. Do it very well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, man. And it's the same writers that did this, too. I mean, the only thing I can figure is that they just got better at writing. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, mean you I, can think, even, I think, and like I'm saying, you can even mix the two and just you know have copycats until one hits, and then you know at the end you invite them into the society. Yeah, yeah, or the next survivor, whatever the case may be. Um, if they yeah. kill the copycat at the end of the film, whatever player that survives, blah blah blah. Mm-hmm. And there are a lot of movies potentially here. Now, obviously, the amount of quality movies might be minimum, but there are definitely a lot of stories that can be told here. All right, folks, so that is going to be your final spoiler warning. If you have not seen Saw X or Saw Ten, and you're still interested in going to see it, go ahead and pause the podcast. Go ahead and check it out and join us here after that. Otherwise, if you already have seen seen it or have no interest in seeing it then go ahead and stick around as i go through the walkthrough for saw x uh our movie opens up with uh john kramer getting an mri treatment um he obviously looks you know a lot older than the last time we saw him he looks thinner weaker you know obviously you know a, a more ragged old man if you will he is told that he has three months left to live um that and he gets into a little bit of an argument with his doctor because his doctor tells him to retire. Um, another thing that I meant to mention is I love some of the double entendre speak in this movie. Uh, I, I'll get into more of that, what, what I mean. Like, uh, 
you know, uh, w- there's a point where Jigsaw tells Dr. Peterson, you know, uh, I help people make decisions in their life that put them back on track, you know, and obviously every Jigsaw fan in the theater is going to be smiling at that because ultimately, you know, that's one of those double entendres that we all love. But anyway, back to the film. Um, while he's at the hospital, he witnesses a orderly start to make the decision to steal some stuff from uh, a patient that's in a coma. There's a patient, he's in a coma. He's obviously been in like some major accident. He has multiple broken bones. His whole body is basically in traction. Uh, And we see the guy kind of, you know, grab at the guy's watch, his wedding ring, and he starts to pull money out of his wallet. At that exact moment, John happens to stand up from a water fountain that he was taking a drink from he sees the guy you know start to steal the stuff and we see him then close his eyes and suddenly the orderly is in a trap and the trap in question is the trap that's on the movie poster the eye sucker as some or the eye vacuum as some people are calling it basically we see the orderly connected to it he's tied up to a chair he has some metal wires connected to all five fingers on his right hand and on his left hand there is a dial that goes from one to five of course we hear the famous voice come up and say i want to play a game and talks about how we need to do something about your sticky little fingers and he basically tells them tells them that you have three minutes to turn that dial all the way from one to five He doesn't tell him what's going to happen, which I kind of like. Sometimes Jigsaw will actually tell the person what's going to happen. This one, it's kind of a surprise. Obviously, I gave it away by calling it the eye vacuum, but there you go. Uh, So the guy turns the knob to number one, and the, uh, the cord connected to his pinky pulls his pinky back until it's broken. You hear the bone snap. And then the guy realizes that there's the five positions on the dial is one for each of his five fingers. So basically, he has to break all five of his fingers on his right hand before the three-minute timer expires, or that vacuum is going to turn on. He makes it to two. He makes it to three. He tries to get to four. I think he does actually get to four, but after five, he just kind of gives up. Sorry, had a little cough there. Excuse me. Um, and as the timer (laughs) expires and the guy doesn't make it to the fifth position on the dial, we see the shop vac that's connected to the hoses turn on. First, his left eye gets sucked out and sucked down into the shop vac, and then his right eye gets sucked out and sucked down into the shop vac. And then just as the guy is screaming in pain with both of his eyes missing, We are transported back to the hospital where Jigsaw is still standing at the window watching this guy, the orderly, uh, rob from this guy. This is, I've heard some people complain about this one because it's kind of a, you know, a fake out moment. You know, it's not a real trap, but but I kind of like it because, like I said earlier, I like to see how Jigsaw's mind works, you know, before he even decides that he's going to do anything to this guy, he's already thinking about the right trap. What's the right, you know, retribution for this guy, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, after we come back from the kind of, you know, hallucination or, or daydream, if you will, the guy notices, the orderly notices John standing at the door And then he makes the decision. He puts the wallet, the watch, and the wedding ring back in the drawer and goes to leave the room. John stops him as he's leaving and says, good choice, and lets him pass. So, 
like I said, I can see how some people would get upset with that, but for me it worked, so I'm very okay with it. All right, so after that we see John at a cancer support group where obviously there are other people there with various stages of cancer, all talking about their difficulties and the things, you know, the, their, their feelings, their emotions. We are introduced to a guy named uh, Henry, uh, what was his last name? I forget. But anyway, we're introduced to a guy named Henry. Henry Kessler, there it is. Henry Kessler. Uh, a black gentleman, older, well, middle age, probably like my age, late 40s, early 50s. And he has stage four pancreatic cancer. He gives us, you know, a sob story about not feeling like himself. But then he says, you know, I'm not going to give up. I'm going to fight this till the end, blah, blah, blah. Fast forward to a few months later, and John Kramer is at a coffee shop, uh, just, you know, having a drink, kind of, you can see him drawing in his notebook, almost like he's making future plans or future traps, if you will. And he sees Henry Kessler again, but this time Henry Kessler is the picture of good health, like he's not pale like he was at that meeting. And, you know, they they see each other, they, they hug, you know, because they were in the same support group. And John, of course, asks Henry, what happened? How are you healthy now? Henry lets him know about this thing called the Peterson Project, which is a doctor in Norway who uses a chemical cocktail combined with surgery to reverse the effects of cancer and to reverse cancer cells to, to healthy cells. Um, it's, it's obviously not approved in the States. Uh, it's not approved by any country, actually. It's incredibly illegal. But obviously, Henry convinces John that, yeah, I mean, this, this treatment worked. At one point, he actually lifts up his shirt and shows him this gnarly-ass surgery scar that he has running from about halfway down his chest all the way down to his waist where they cut the, his pancreatic cancer out. And he tells him, you know, it's been four months. I've, I'm in full remission, and, you know, I think you should check it out. So, of course, John takes the link um, that, uh, that Henry wrote down, contacts Dr. Peterson on the website, uh, basically just says, you know, I spoke to Henry Kessler, and I'm interested in your services. Uh, Dr. Peterson ends up calling him back, letting him know that they may have a spot available for him if he's interested in the treatment a few months down the line. Unfortunately, John doesn't have months, as his doctor told him previously in the movie, that he's only got months at most to live. So the doctor on the phone realizes that he doesn't have that much time, so she basically makes an exception and says, okay, I think I have a spot opening up next week. If you can make it down to Mexico, I have a facility down here that's, you know, off the beaten path. It's in, you know, kind of in the woods in a nice country spot, you know, away from prying eyes and authorities and things like that. So John um, agrees. Oh, go ahead. Let me ask. I, I meant to break in when you first brought him up, but I don't know. I, I just kept listening to the walkthrough. Um, mm -hmm. At this point in the movie, were you already thinking Kessler was part of, like, potentially part of the con, or did you think it was just – because Kessler, I was talking to Lacey, and she was like, oh, I, I thought it the whole time. But to me, I thought, because Kessler seemed to legitimately be recommending the the uh, the actual doctor, not the, the daughter who was the con woman. So I wasn't, like, convinced from the start that he was in on it. What about you? Or you and Don? Uh, 100% from the moment he was on screen, I literally said in so, my head, he's in on it. 
He's 100. Maybe I'm just being too charitable. <laughs> I think so. Yeah. Maybe you haven't seen many horror movies. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think it was exactly the moment he was on screen, but I think over the course of the first conversation, I was pretty convinced at the end of it that he was he was, if not the, one of the the main person people there, he was definitely involved. The the, the thing is like his when he lifted up his shirt and showed his scar. It did look kind of funky. Like, is that is that really? It, it looked like chalk or something. Like, I was like, huh, that looks kind of weird. But then I was like, well, maybe because it was like an experimental thing. But that was a little off to me. But I was maybe I was just trying to give too much charitableness to the the character. Yeah, I think so. I was already suspicious before he lifted his shirt. I mean, literally before. I mean, because think about it. Even if he did get a miraculous cure, how how does he look 100% healthy four months later? Like, there's a recovery period. You know, your cells have to regenerate. All All the cells that the cancer killed have to regenerate, assuming this procedure works. Um, and he had pancreatic cancer. So, I mean, he, he has to wait for his pancreas to kind of work itself back up. I, I just don't think he would be 100% healthy after four months. You know what I mean? I feel like the recovery yeah. would be a little bit longer. Yeah, the four months is pretty much kind of the uh, point where I was kind of – that that kind of was a, uh, you know, really, really, really weird, um, uh, you know, timeline for pancreatic cancer. And I think he said stage four as well, right? Yeah, he did. Stage four pancreatic. Yeah. Yeah, stage four pancreatic cancer. Yeah, four months for a full recovery. Yeah, that's kind of, you know. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, that that's not exactly, uh, you know, very, very, very rare. Exactly. Yeah, So that, after, that was my point. Yeah, definitely. I agree. Uh, so after this meeting, John, of course, goes online and does his research but he ends up doing his research on the father, uh, you know, the older Dr. Peterson, because that's the one who's famous. He's the one who created the cocktail. So all of John's research shows that, um, you know, the elder Dr. Peterson is legit, that he's actually done his research, that he's actually helped people. But when he's contacted by the Peterson Project uh, the next day, he's contacted by the doctor's daughter. And she, in during the conversation, talks about how, oh, my father's in hiding because, you know, big pharmaceutical companies are trying to stop him any way they can. Because if he cures cancer his way, you know, that, you know, kills a shitload of profit for the big pharmacy. You know, there's more there's more money in treating a disease than in curing it. You know, that's kind of a common statement in uh, in the medical field. And big pharma kind of lives on that kind of shit. So. So, like I said, the daughter contacts John, tells her, my father's in hiding, but I have taken over, you know, the family facility, and I'm, I'm using my father's techniques and theories to help people, and, you know, I've, I've been just as successful as my father. John is convinced, and within a couple of days, he's on a plane to Mexico. We see him land in Mexico. He's met by a driver uh, named Diego who um, basically, I guess, is meant to take him to the facility. Unfortunately, on the way to the facility, a van uh, kind of gets in their way, like blocks the, the road. Uh, they're on like a dirt road at this point, driving to the facility, a one-lane dirt road. And this van comes out of nowhere, blocks the path. We see like paramilitary, uh, excuse me, paramilitary guys Coming out, you know, they've got, like, all black on. They've got high-caliber high, high caliber assault weapons, blah, blah, blah. 
uh, like three or four of them come out. They've got masks on, you know, the full ski masks. And they basically, it almost looks like a kidnapping. And obviously, you know, Mexico kind of has that reputation. Mexico and Brazil have that reputation of uh, Americans not being ultra safe in those countries. So obviously it seems like John is being kidnapped, but that's not the case. Uh, these guys, basically, they come and they take John out of the taxi cab. They put him in the van and then they just drive him to the facility. Uh, they, they basically just did it so that John wouldn't know where the facility is. Of course, they maybe those guys didn't realize that they were dealing with Jigsaw, but we'll get to that in a little bit. So John gets to the facility. Uh, the first person that he meets is named Gabriella. She's basically like one of the nurses there um, who takes care of the patients after, you know, post-surgery and before surgery when they're in their room. You know, young, pretty Mexican girl, nothing ultra-suspicious about her. Um, she takes John to his room, then John meets Dr. Peterson, and Dr. Peterson is, like, gung-ho, ready to go. Like, she wants to start the procedure right away. So she brings John around to meet the rest of the medical staff. We meet Mateo, the anesthesiologist. We meet uh, Valentina, who's, like, the surgical nurse, like, the, uh, the nurse, the, 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 the assistant to the surgeon. Uh, and And I think that's everyone that we meet. Yeah, yeah. And later on, we'll also meet a character, uh, the surgeon named Dr. Cortez, which I thought was kind of cool. I mean, hey, anytime I hear my last name in a movie, it, it makes me smile. So, um, unfortunately, <laughs> maybe not so much attached to this character, but oh well. Uh, so, you know, John is introduced to everyone. And then while he's in the facility, he meets Parker Sears. And Parker is a patient there who has thyroid cancer, stage four thyroid cancer. And it's terminal. But he has just gone through the procedure. He's got – we see that he has, like, a, a bandage on his neck where they cut out the uh, the thyroid cancer. And he's basically on his way to being, like, released from the facility. He's cancer-free. His blood work looks good. He introduces himself as John, lets John know, you know, these people really know what they're doing. They're helping us out, blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, and I wish you all the luck in the world, you know, with your, you know, uh, brain surgery, blah, blah, blah. Parker leaves and John is prepared for surgery by Valentina. She takes blood samples, blah, blah, blah. Eventually, John gets his surgery. I, I say eventually, but it's like literally the next scene. Uh, John gets his surgery. It's one of those awake cranial surgeries where the patient has to be awake so that they can make sure that they're not tinkering with the wrong part of the brain. So after they cut, uh, they cut John's head open, but we don't see it, which is which already should be a red flag to any horror movie fan, because in Saw 3, we saw them cut into John's head. Like, this is something we've already seen before, so why why would they withhold that from us now? Um, so, you know, we see the doctor cutting into his head, and we see a video, which we assume to be a monitor, recording the action that's happening currently. It looks like, you know, they're they're tinkering in someone's head. They ask John to perform a couple of tasks like wiggle your fingers or open your eyes, things like that. Eventually, they put John back to sleep, He and then he wakes up in a different facility. He's not in the same facility that he went to uh, when he was first brought there. He's in a different facility a couple of miles away, and 
it is post-surgery and Dr. Peterson is there to meet him when he wakes up and she shows him his blood work and John is smart enough to look at his own blood work and know what it all means and he realizes that he's cancer free. There's no blood, there's no cancer in my blood. And the doctor says, yeah, the surgery was a success. Um, we were able to get it all out. It looks like you're going to make a full recovery and you'll be in full remission soon enough. She gives him some instructions to take these vials of liquid that are basically like a combination of painkillers and antibiotics and things like that. Uh, she gives him a, a, a seven-day prescription of those and says that after the seven days, you should be healthy enough to travel back to the States and, you know, pretty much carry on with your life. So now it's uh, a couple of days later. It's the day that John is scheduled to leave Mexico. And he decides that he wants to do a favor for Gabriella because Gabriella, his nurse, was so kind to him while he was there. And uh, she mentioned that she liked tequila, that it was like a local favorite earlier in the film. So John buys a bottle of tequila. And then we actually see a scene of him figuring out where the facility is based on just like the position of the sun, the position of uh, the cross up on the hill. We see him doing like trigonometry and, and um, triangulation, shit like that. And he's able to figure out where the facility is based on what he remembers from his ride there. He ends up taking a cab uh, to the facility, but this time when he gets to the facility, no one is there. Gabriella's not there. All the pictures that are on the wall that Gabriella said were family photos of hers are all on the ground smashed. It looks like somebody ransacked the place. John eventually goes back down to the uh, basement where the um, operating room was, and he sees that everything's been destroyed and there's no one around. So he, he ends up finding a computer monitor that's still turned on, so he, he flips the computer monitor over and he sees that it's the um, it's like the DVD menu of a neurosurgery DVD, like an instructional DVD. <clears throat> Excuse me. He hits play, and the footage that's playing on the screen is exactly what he saw when he was getting his surgery. It's what was playing on the screen. And obviously, throughout this whole thing, he's getting flashbacks of different conversations that he had, and, and basically the pieces are coming together. Finally, he, he just decides, fuck it, I'm going to take my bandage off my head because he still had the same bandage on his head the whole time. He pulls the bandage off, looks in the mirror, no scar, no nothing. They didn't even shave his head. Literally, they did nothing. And this is when John, of course, basically starts to lose it. You see his eyes kind of flashing back and forth, and he's, you know, putting his head, his face in his palm, and basically, you know, the gears are turning. He's starting to kind of formulate his plan. After that, we see him kind of make a phone call to a detective friend of his. <laughs> Who might that be? Uh, basically saying that he's looking for a fellow cancer patient. And, uh, you know, to call him when he finds the person, and that's the end of that conversation. So, you know, out of context, it's very cryptic, but I think hardcore fans know who he's talking to. And so after that, uh, it's that evening, and we see Mateo, uh, not Mateo, excuse me, we see Diego, the taxi cab driver, the guy who picked up John Kramer at the airport and brought him to the point where they got the fake kidnapping, uh, basically, you know, he, he uses chloroform on him, knocks him out, takes him to a, a spot, 
And then when he wakes up, he's basically tied to a pole in a warehouse, actually the same warehouse, the facility where the surgery took place, the supposed surgery took place. And the guy's got pipe bombs strapped to his arms, and they're strapped in so tight that the wires are literally cutting into his flesh. And his hands are completely covered with um, duct tape, except for two scalpels sticking out of each hand. So he's basically, you know, got these clubbed hands, but with scalpels sticking out. And, of course, John goes into jigsaw mode. It says, you know, I want to play a game. Tells him that he has three minutes to get the pipe bombs off his arms and that the scalpels that are connected to his arms will not cut through the metal wires that are, you know, basically holding the thing onto his arm that he has to cut through his flesh to get it off. Uh, Diego starts cutting. Um, he's got a three minute time limit. Three minutes seems to be the common time limit for the traps in this movie. He's able to get the first one off in like, oh, I don't know, like a minute and a half, almost two minutes. And then he goes and then with his with his left arm already torn up because he's already ripped a goddamn pipe bomb off of it. He has to use that messed up hand to then cut the other bomb off his hand. Eventually, his left arm just kind of gives out because of all the damage it took to get the first pipe bomb off. So he literally just bites the pipe bomb, the second bomb, which is on his right arm. He takes it off with his, with his teeth. He bites it off, tears a giant piece of flesh off his arm, throws the bomb to the ground, kicks it off literally with like two seconds. He gets it off his arm, kicks it off to the other side of the room, and then the bomb goes off showing that, yeah, these were real pipe bombs and they were going to fuck you up if you left them on there. John gives a knowing nod, almost like he's happy that Diego passed his test. He goes down there. Uh, he goes down to where Diego is with a first aid kit and tells Diego, don't worry, you're going to survive this. You've passed your test. At this point, we start seeing other members of the, uh, of the surgery team start getting taken, basically um, kidnapped by <laughs> someone in a very familiar mask. Our, our old pig face mask is back. Uh, first, we see Mateo, who is working at a veterinary hospital at the time, and we see him basically stealing drugs. After all the nurses leave for the night, we see uh, Mateo stealing drugs from the cabinet. And then we see Gabriella come in, but she's not the cute little nurse that we saw at the hospital. Now she's dressed all sexy. She obviously looks like she's on drugs of some kind. Her eyes are sunken in. She's sweating. And she's there to buy more drugs from Mateo. Mateo basically tells her, uh, you're going to need to find a new drug dealer because I'm not going to do this anymore. Gabriella gives him the money, takes her drugs and leaves. And just as Mateo is, and at the, during this whole time, dogs are barking from the kennels in the back, like any vet hospital. And, you know, Mrs. Venom works at a veterinary hospital, so I know the sound of dogs barking all night. Um, excuse me for a sec. Ooh, another cough attack. Sorry, folks. Okay, so um, as Mateo is wondering what made the, all these dogs suddenly out of nowhere stop barking, um, he suddenly starts walking towards the kennels. But then from behind comes our, you know, our, our familiar person in the pig mask with a cattle prod. 
and um, the person basically prods uh, Mateo until he's out cold, um, and basically that's the end of that scene. Mateo falls unconscious to the floor, and that's the end of that. After that, we see Gabriella uh, at a club, uh, and she's in the bathroom of the club, basically about to take a couple of the pills that she just bought from Mateo. Uh, the bathroom ends up being a little bit too crowded for her to want to take her pills in front of people, so she jumps into a stall and uh, starts to take – she takes her pills. I, I'm not sure what drugs it is, if it's ketamine or whatever. If they got it from a vet hospital, I'm guessing, I'm guessing it's ketamine. Um, but uh, right after she takes her pills, someone walks into the bathroom with very heavy footsteps, you know, wearing big boots. Uh, we see a pair of feet underneath the stall walk up to where Gabriella is and then suddenly disappear. Eventually Gabriella does come out of the stall, but as soon as she comes out, there's our pig faced friend um, knocking her out, grabbing her mace, macing her in the face and just knocking her out. And that's the end of that scene. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, I apologize to anybody listening on headphones because I'm probably killing your ears with all my coughing. So I do apologize. Okay, anyway, uh, we see Vic, um, Valentina. Valentina is is at the same club that Gabriella is at, but she, they're not together. She's just at another part of the club, and a guy is kind of hitting on her. You know, a buff, tattooed kind of dude, um, and it seems like she asks him, you know, hey, do you want to go, you want to get out of here? And the guy obviously it seems very horny, so he's like, yeah, let's get out of here. He escorts her to his car but as soon as he opens the door for her and tells her to get in, she asks, where's my money? And of course, uh, the guy doesn't know what the hell's going on because she never mentioned money. You know, he's like, what are you talking about? I, you never mentioned money. And she says, no money, no sex. And he just basically gets pissed off and says, fuck you. As she turns around to leave, he basically grabs her and throws her into the backseat. And he's basically about to try to rape her. Um, when suddenly we see something come through the window, smash through the window, knock out the guy. But Valentina is just kind of in the back seat, wondering what the hell's going on. Eventually, again, we see the pig mask and we see Valentina get knocked out and taken away. And at this point, we are then transported back to the facility where the operation took place and now we see Gabriella, Mateo, Valentina, and Dr. Peterson all um, in this facility. Uh, actually, I forgot. We actually do see Dr. Peterson get taken. Um, it's just a quick scene where she's in her house by herself. She hears footsteps throughout the house. She has a very advanced security system, so she's flipping through the cameras. Eventually, she sees a shot of somebody in a pig mask on top of her house, but she has glass ceilings, like glass ceilings all the way down her house. You know, it's like a mansion. This, this house is really nice. Um, and basically somebody smashes like a brick or, you know, cinder block or something through all the floors of glass landing right in front of our doctor. She gets freaked out for a little while. She tries to escape. She ends up getting in her car. But when she opens the garage door, there's someone standing there in a pig mask. She goes to start the car, but then somebody in the back seat, also wearing a pig mask, pulls out a syringe, stabs her in the neck, and then she starts to get tired. 
Um, the person in the back seat takes their mask off, and we see that it's John Kramer himself. Then the person in front of the car takes their mask off, and we see that it's Amanda, our first appearance of Amanda in this um, movie. And it makes sense, because obviously John is not in the condition to kidnap all these young, vital people. So it makes sense that Amanda was here to do the dirty work for him. <coughs> Excuse me. So now we are back at the facility. All four of our members, um, not counting uh, Diego, who, you know, already passed his test. Um, like I said, Valentina, Gabriella, Mateo, and Dr. Peterson are all chained up in this room. John then shows up. And that's another thing I really like about this movie. I, I, I kind of said it earlier. John is front and center in this movie. Billy the Puppet isn't even utilized all that much in this movie. There's one major scene where we get Billy the Puppet. But otherwise, it's John, unmasked, out in the open, basically speaking directly to these people. He still records his little messages on the tape recorders, just because that's his thing, I guess. Um but he is there in case they have a rebuttal or, another, or a question or something. But basically, the first player to be tested is going to be Valentina. And Valentina is in a uh, – she's in a trap where there's like a grot wire wrapped around her neck. Not tightly like it's touching her, but it's like in front of her neck. John basically then pulls out a box, opens it, puts it next to Valentina, and tells her – your key to freedom is in that box. She looks in there, she sees a belt, and she sees a garrote wire. Uh, I think it's called a ghillie saw, because it was invented by a Frenchman named Gilly. And uh, basically, uh, she gets mad because she's like, there's no key in there. Amanda explains, it's not a real key, it's a metaphorical key. You kind of have to get used to that with John. He speaks in metaphors a lot, which I actually thought was kind of funny. Um, even though it wasn't ultra funny in the movie, in the situation, like nobody chuckled, not even Amanda. I just kind of found it, it tickled me for whatever it's worth. So basically this trap is she needs to cut her leg off. There's a dotted line drawn on her leg. She needs to take the ghillie saw and cut her leg open completely, like, like cut her leg off, exposing the open femur. And then there's a suction tool next to her where she has to stick it into her bone, directly into her femur, and get a certain amount of bone marrow into the machine. I think he says three ounces. Uh, she needs three ounces of bone marrow. Once the machine gets its three ounces of bone marrow, it deactivates itself and the saw releases, which will then release Valentina. Sands one leg, of course, if she's successful. Obviously, Valentina has the standard uh, reaction, I'm not going to do this, fuck you, blah, blah, blah. But once <laughs> she kind of puts her hands on the garrote wire or the ghillie saw that's around her neck and it cuts her hand up really bad, she kind of understands that, okay, he's serious. Uh, I'm going to have to do this. And, you know, it takes some egging on from Dr. Peterson, Mateo, and Gabriella, all kind of, you know, telling her, you got to do it, you got to do it, we don't want you to die, blah, blah, blah. So she eventually just says, fuck it, and does it. Starts sawing through her legs with the wire, with the ghillie saw, and it's pain. it looks painful as fuck. Go ahead, buddy. 
I was going to say the the kind of interesting aspect of because I I know for her and I think one of the other people, if you go back and like re-examine it, if they just want to waste half their three minutes like trying to like uh, be defiant, they probably would pull it off because I think she she got far enough in where it was starting to work, but it's like well you wasted half the time being mad, which. It's a you almost I I don't want to say you feel bad because they are there for be, doing misdeeds and fucking people over, but it's like man, if they if they just had like a five minute time limit instead of three minute, maybe they would actually get through it because she actually did the damn thing and she was actually suctioning it because I was like, damn, is she gonna spend the whole three minutes just saying hell no? Because of course then we know what's gonna happen, but right. I was like, wow, she actually managed to freaking cut her leg off and get the machine going she just wasted too much time like trying to not yeah. do it exactly she wasted a whole minute just before she even got the saw on her leg she wasted a minute of just no i'm not going to do this i'm not going to do this and ultimately you're right because she does end up successfully sawing her leg off and it looks great it, it's a really nice effect she, she saws the leg off from underneath. She basically puts the ghillie saw, uh, you know, the garrote wire underneath her thigh and saws upwards and literally cuts her leg off. I, I'd say when she cuts her leg off, there's something like 30 to 40 seconds left on the timer. She then grabs the suction tool, sticks it into her femur, uh, you know, into the broken part of her femur, into the marrow, and then turns the suction machine on. And then we see blood start coming out of the suction machine. But it's not blood that the machine wants. It's bone marrow. Eventually, we do see bone marrow start accumulating in the, uh, in the like, sieve or colander, whatever you want to call it that's collecting up the stuff and weighing it. So basically, once it gets to three ounces, it's going to release the saw. Unfortunately, literally, just as the dial is just about to hit three ounces, the timer runs out, the saw turns on, and wham, just unceremoniously cuts her fucking head off. And I love what they did with this one. Rather than risk the kind of the, the practical effect looking really fake if it was in close-up, what they do is they concentrate the camera on Dr. Peterson at the moment that the head is decapitated. So then you see Valentina's body in the background slightly out of focus. But it's so clear that you, you see the head roll off and the body falls off the chair. It's a really great effect. I just thought that it was a really nice decision on their part uh, to kind of hide maybe a limitations of, you know, what a decapitation is going to look like in focus and up close. So. Um, it's a good alternative. So, yeah. So, at this point, Valentina is gone. She is now in three pieces. Uh, obviously, her head's been cut off. She cut off one of her legs, and the rest of her body is laying there at the at the feet of the chair. <clears throat> Everybody is pissed off at John because, you know, they're all upset because she actually did cut her leg off. So, she very obviously did want to live. But obviously, like Mike said, she just ran out of time. She dilly-dallied too much, and that's the end of that. So at this point, um, Jigsaw decides that Gabriella is going to be next. But Amanda has some kind of misgivings about that. Amanda looks at Gabriella a lot, lot like herself. Because don't forget, when Amanda first joined this whole thing, it was the same thing. 
she was a drug addict, she was a thief, you know, um, blah, 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 making poor decisions because of the addiction that she had. And like I said, that's basically what Gabriella is. Gabriella is just a Mexican Amanda, basically just a young girl who made some poor decisions and now she's addicted and, you know, kind of has to live with it. She's trying to get Jigsaw to show Gabriella some compassion and maybe even a little forgiveness. Obviously, Jigsaw is not up for that. He's like, no, all these people had their decisions or had their time to make the right decision. It's my time now to make their decision. So they end up um, getting into a little bit of an argument. And Amanda basically defies his order and just says, you know what? No, Mateo is next. The, the anesthesiologist is next. <clears throat> Excuse me. So as as um, Amanda is preparing Mateo for his his game, they hear something outside on the security camera. They look on the security camera, and it's fucking it's fucking um, Parker Sears, uh, the, the the thyroid patient that John met when he first got there. Oh, wait, I skipped an entire scene. I skipped something really cool, too. Let me go back a little bit. Um, after Valentina dies and her body parts are just all over the floor, the doctor's cell phone rings, but the phone isn't on her person. It's on a table in the middle of the room. Uh, they decide, you know, they decide that since her cell phone is still getting service, they need to get to that table. They decide that they're going to try to make a rope out of their clothes. Unfortunately, they're all chained up, so they don't really have a way to get their clothes completely off their person. And Dr. Peterson is a quick thinker on her feet because with, you know, after only a few seconds of thought, she ends up pulling Valentina's body towards her, her torso, what's left of her body, and she grabs like a, a sharpened piece of steel that's on the ground she cuts open Valentina's torso and pulls out her small intestine, literally all of her intestine, pulls it all out, and then declares out loud, now we have a rope, <laughs> which, again, I thought was kind of comical. She then takes the intestines, she holds on to one end of it, and she takes the remainder and throws them towards Mateo. Mateo then holds on to um, a part of the intestines and throws the end over to Gabriella. Gabriella then takes the intestines, what's left of the intestines in front of her, and throws them back to the doctor around the table. And the table's on wheels. The table that has the doctor's coat and phone are on wheels. The doctor then successfully uses the intestine as a rope to pull the table towards her. She pulls the table towards her, grabs her cell phone, starts to make a phone call. We don't know to who at this point. Starts to make a phone call, is connected to the person, starts saying something along the lines of we've been kidnapped. And then Amanda shows up and activates her, her, her shock collar. Apparently everyone here was wearing a shock collar and we didn't realize it. And now we're realizing that, yeah, they're, they all got shock collars on. Amanda shocks the doctor, takes her cell phone away from her, looks at the phone, kind of gives a sly smile, and then puts the phone back in her pocket. And then she goes and takes the table and wheels it completely out of the way so that there's no way uh, they can use anyone's intestines to get the table again. I, I had to talk about that scene because I thought that was fucking great. Anyway, 
So at this point, like I said, the doctor has now been uh, electro, you know, shocked, it, it, unconscious. Her phone has been taken away. And now they're going to prepare Mateo for his test. And Mateo's test for that one, we see Billy. We see the first appearance of Billy the puppet, and we see him on his on his classic bike. Uh, he he wheels himself basically, you know, out of, out into the room, and he's dragging a table with medical supplies behind him. And he and and then we see a door open, and Mateo comes out, and he's on a chair with some kind of apparatus wrapped around his head. <clears throat> we see like we see like surgical pins on his head. We don't know why yet. Um, but then you know we see the tape recorder, the classic tape recorder. Mateo doesn't want to turn it on. Uh, Amanda hits his shock collar, and then he's forced to turn the tape recorder on. And then we hear Jigsaw's voice once again. And the game this time is that Mateo has had a circle on his head shaved off, basically exposing the head. Um, He has to take a bone saw that's on the table, cut a piece of his skull out of his head, pull it out completely, and then once again put three ounces worth of gray matter or brain tissue into this um, glass with some serum in it. It's going to dissolve the brain tissue, which then is going to release a key, which will release uh, Mateo from the chair. And with this trap, it's the exact same thing as Valentina. Um, Mateo ends up spending a minute just basically saying, I'm not going to do this. I can't do this. How, how am I going to do this? I, I don't know anything about this. The doctor kind of walks him through the whole thing, telling him, okay, grab, grab the saw, hook it up to the, to the cable next to you, and then cut a piece of your skull out. Obviously, Mateo is very, you know, upset, doesn't want to do it, but eventually he recedes and says, okay, fuck it. Uh, and then we see him in what looks – this is the scene that was making people in the theater squirm. Like it was so entertaining to me watching people squirming in their seats. But yeah, Mateo eventually does cut a large section, uh, maybe like a baseball size section of his um, skull cap out, pulls the piece of skull and, and scalp off, throws it on the floor. Then he grabs a pair of forceps and literally starts digging in his own brain. And you can kind of see his eyes move in like weird, you know, when, when, when his eyes, they're doing involuntary movements because he's poking around in his brain. Eventually, his, he is able to take a piece of his brain out. <coughs> Excuse me. By the way, before this trap started, John does explain to Diego that you, you could lose almost half of your brain and you, you would still survive. Your brain will take to rewire itself so that it could still function at full capacity even when it's missing tissue. So he's basically letting Mateo know, after you do this, you're going to be fine. You know, you're not going to be like, you know, um, <laughs> like lobotomized or anything for the rest of your life. So like I said, Mateo ends up getting the piece of tissue off out of his brain, puts it in the jar, and then once again, it's a race against the clock to to get the the serum in the jar to melt the piece of brain so that it weighs enough that it'll release the key that's in the little glass cage in front of them. Unfortunately, again, the timer runs out just before the door to the key is going to open. 
and we see a mask, we see like the coils inside of a mask turn red, like red hot, and then they close on Mateo's face, and it's actually a mask of uh, of a Mexican deity, uh, one of those cool ass uh, you know uh, Inca masks. And um, he basically just dies from the injuries. I guess they, it just cooks his head, and he dies. And that's the end of Mateo. So at this point, Mateo is gone. Uh, at this point, like I said, uh, Parker Sears has already shown up, the other patient. Um, but Parker is playing the role that, oh, I was also ripped off. He showed up there with a gun, and he's basically saying, Look at look at my neck. They didn't even do the surgery. They, they're a fraud, and I want my money back. At first, John is very sympathetic, basically saying, you know, we were the victims of this hoax, blah, blah, blah. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then um, at that point, Amanda basically ties Parker onto a chair with a chain, but John kind of wants to release him and give him the opportunity I don't know if I don't know if John thought this guy would become a disciple or if he would just be sympathetic to what John was doing because he was also uh, ripped off. Uh, but Amanda obviously doesn't trust him for a second, uh, but she does end ends up uh, uh, you know completing John's order, letting him out of the chair. He gets up out of the chair and he's allowed to watch Mateo's game. At the end of Mateo's, or no, no, I'm sorry, not Mateo's game. He's allowed to watch Gabriella's game, uh, and at this point, Gabriella's test is now starting. Gabriella is basically chained up by one arm and one leg in the room. When she pulls down her um, her tape recorder and plays her message, instantly she throws it across the room because she doesn't want to play. She's like, "No, I'm not doing this." Unfortunately, Jigsaw himself is right there, so he just gets on the intercom and does the message live rather than with the tape recorder. Basically letting her know that her test is a radiation test. Basically, um, the x-ray machine that emits all that radiation has been modified so that it just blows out a bunch of radiation directly at the person standing in front of it. Um, the chains tighten so that Gabriella is now, you know, she's still chained by one arm and one leg, but she's now up in midair. She's like being held up by the chains. We see the radiation machine turn on and almost instantly start cooking her face. Like, you know, she, she reacts very violently, you know, from the heat. And she's basically told that she has to take a hammer that's hanging from the rafters right there next to her. And she has to break her foot and her hand to get out of the chains. She's not going to be able to break the shackles. She has to literally break her foot and her hand. So she so she proceeds to do that. She starts smashing at her foot and just starts hitting it with the hammer just over and over and over again until finally the foot breaks and slips out of the shackle and she swings out of the way of the radiation machine. So at this point, you know, she's starting to think that, oh, I passed my test. Awesome. Because she's now in a different position in the room so that she's not in front of the radiation machine. Lo and behold, the radiation machine says, fuck it, and moves so that it's right back in front of her again. And this time, she's wildly swinging at her hand. The whole time, the, the flesh on her skin is getting cooked. It's, it's turning black and charred. 
Finally, she's able to smash her hand enough that so that she gets out of the shackle. She falls to the ground, and her face is just just tore up. It's just black and charred and just really shitty looking, but she's still alive. And at that moment, uh, Jigsaw is like, okay, she t- he tells Amanda, okay, Gabriella passed her test. Take her to the hospital. You know, she needs medical attention. Amanda turns around to go get the keys to drive uh, Gabriella to the hospital. And at this point, Parker snuck behind Jigsaw and Amanda and got his gun back and is now pointing it at both of them and says, okay, your sick game is over. Basically points the gun right at John's head and tells Amanda to release Dr. Peterson. Um, so obviously Amanda and basically everyone reunites in the room, in the actual room where all the traps are. And you can see the expression on Dr. Peterson's face change as soon as Parker walks into the room uh, and, of course, Parker walks right up to the doctor and lays a big old kiss right on her face. Yes, Parker Sears is also in on this plan. He was not a cancer patient. He did not receive a treatment. And he's actually the romantic interest of Dr. Peterson. And later it turns out that's who the doctor called. Uh, she, you know, she, she wasn't calling the police. She called Parker. And, of course, you know, Parker being in on it knew where they would have been held, even though the phone call was cut off in like two seconds. Parker knew exactly where they were. So now here we are. Uh, Parker and um, the doctor are now they now have the upper hand. They have John uh, jump into the trap. They basically chain him up to the trap that Dr. Peterson was chained up to. We're not sure what the trap is yet at this point, just that she was chained up to it. they end up chaining Amanda to another part of the room so that she can't interfere with John's trap. And at that moment, suddenly they hear a soccer ball outside being kicked and it's little Carlos. And I forgot to mention earlier that yes, there is a little boy who lives in this area who kind of frequents the area around the facility there. And uh, he's just there kind of playing soccer. He's kicking a ball, against the wall, you know, just playing with playing by himself, blah, blah, blah. And then the doctor is like, oh, I've got an idea. I was going to watch you. I was going to have you watch Amanda die, but I think it's going to be a lot more satisfying for you to watch someone who's an innocent die. And that's when the doctor goes outside, grabs little Carlos, brings him out. It brings him into the facility. And little Carlos, once he notices Valentina's chopped up body on the ground, tries to escape, but Dr. Peterson grabs him. And they end up chaining little Carlos to the other side of the the trap that um, Jigsaw is currently in. They go ahead and activate the trap. And what the trap is, it's a form of waterboarding, but instead of water, they're using blood. So it's bloodboarding, as the doctor says in the movie. And basically, each person in the trap has a little lever next to him. And if they pull the lever, they will then become the focus of the blood coming down uh, from the ceiling, and the other person will be spared. Like, they'll be tilted up in a position where the blood's no longer spraying on their face. Um, John basically tells little Carlos, you know, in Spanish, don't pull that lever. Just don't pull it. Uh, John is basically, it almost seems like John's going to sacrifice himself to save Carlos. 
But little Carlos, uh, because he's friendly with John, you know, they had a nice scene earlier in the movie where John repaired um, a broken wheel on his bicycle. So they're friendly. So uh, so little Carlos, like a badass, just grabs the lever next to him and pulls it. And then the the contraption, which is kind of like a seesaw, then tilts so that it's raising um, Jigsaw and Carlos is now going down. And now the blood starts spraying on Carlos. And Jigsaw, obviously being as old as he is, you know, cancer, it takes him a couple of seconds to kind of get his wherewithal once the blood stops hitting his face. And he realizes, oh, shit, Carlos hit the lever after he told him not to. So he then grabs the lever himself and once again has the blood pouring onto his face. Uh, Carlos once again feels bad for, you know, John being bloodboarded. So again, so it's basically them just going back and forth, uh, getting bloodboarded, trying to save the other. While this is happening, Parker says, I don't want to watch this anymore. I'm going to go find the money. Because earlier in the movie, Jigsaw does mention to the doctor that they took the money from her house and that it's upstairs in the office. The doctor decides to join Parker and just leave Jigsaw and Carlos in the trap with Amanda chained to the other side of the room. And they go upstairs and, you know, like I said, at this point, John is drowning in blood. They're up in the office looking for the money and they find the bag that the money was in. The doctor then grabs the bag and as soon as she grabs the bag, a 10-minute timer shows up and all the lights go out in the room. The, the red emergency lighting comes on and the shithole theme starts to play, the classic Saw theme. And that's when we find out that this is where we start to get all of the reveals and everything that we didn't see in the course of the movie. As it turns out, before John strapped those pipe bombs onto Diego's arms, he actually did have a, a session with him where he was basically questioning him. Uh, we see that Diego admits to him that Parker was in on it, that he wasn't a patient, which, of course, is why Jigsaw it wasn't surprised when Parker showed up, blah, blah, blah. And, and then we just get the flashbacks of lines throughout the movie, um, stuff like John telling Parker that she's going to kill you, she's going to burn you, you just don't see it yet. Um, and, of course, he gets mad, you know, because they're an item, so Parker thinks there's no way she's going to fuck him over. After they pull the bag of money and the 10-minute timer comes up, the doors in the office all shut and lock. And Parker and <coughs> – excuse me – Parker and Dr. Peterson are now in the office, and there is a 10-minute timer going down – Suddenly, gas starts pumping into the room from the vents on the floor. Both of them start choking, and then we hear another recording, one last recording of Jigsaw, where he basically says, you know, I, I, you know, I knew Parker was in on it the whole time. You guys didn't know that you were the marks this whole evening. You thought you were in control, blah, blah, blah. But then he says, you know, you guys have worked together to rip off, you know, over 34 different people for all of their money. So now I want to see you work against each other. So what he does is 
the room is filling up with gas and we can see Parker start to display like lesions and shit on his face and his hands from whatever it is that he's breathing in, probably Agent Orange or something like that. Um, and then suddenly a porthole opens in the room just large enough so that somebody could stick their head through it and breathe fresh air outside of the room. The doctor is the first one to notice this. She sticks her head in there, starts breathing. Parker then notices that she's got her head stuck in the hole. Um, so he goes to pull her out and then they get into it, their inevitable fight. They're fighting each other back and forth. Um, Eventually, the doctor takes that same sharpened piece of steel that she used to cut open Valentina's body, and she ends up stabbing Parker. Parker falls to the ground and basically dies. We actually see his eyes um, start uh, glossing over with lesions and everything else, and so he's very obviously dead. And then the doctor basically has her head sticking out of that porthole, but, you know, obviously there's gas still pouring into the room, so she can't leave. Eventually, Jigsaw, Carlos, and Amanda just end up leaving, and they leave her there, which is kind of surprising that you would leave a loose end like that. But that's the decision that Jigsaw has made. He has left her there, and that's the last we see of her. So don't be surprised if we see Dr. Peterson in a future uh, entry in this franchise. Uh like I said, if we don't see someone die, then they didn't die. That's just the rules of movie. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I felt that was very, um, what can I say, intentional not to show her die. Because, like, you can make your own conclusions of if she would have got out, but we clearly saw the gas turn off, right? So eventually it'll yeah. clear and she'll be able to get out. So uh, the writers of these of the Saw movies, they don't do that unintentionally. <laughs> yeah. The only thing I could figure is that maybe the get, we do see the gas stop pumping, but we don't see the doors of the office open. I'm wondering if maybe jigsaw just left her in there locked kind of like he did to the doctor in part one, you know, just kind of not the doctor, but to Lee Winnell's character in the very first one, when he says game over and shuts the door. And then in a future, um, in a future installment, we see his skeleton in the room uh, that's the only thing I could think of is that maybe he just left her to die with her thoughts or whatever. But again, we don't see it happen on screen, so I don't believe the doctor is gone forever. After this, uh, Jigsaw pulls out the big bag of money. Uh, I guess he was telling the truth. He did have her money. And he ends up, which I'm kind of surprised about, giving the entire bag of money to Carlos. Like, I honestly thought Jigsaw would make an effort to return that money to the families. Because um, obviously John Kramer himself is rich, so he probably, you know, losing a quarter million dollars probably doesn't hurt him too terribly. But I, for some reason, I just thought that he would try to return some of that money because they actually had a list of all the people that were ripped off and how much they were ripped off for. So I don't know. But, yeah, he ends up giving this little Mexican kid a bag that has millions of dollars in cash in it. So, I, I mean, Jesus, that, that village is going to be happy for a very long time. <laughs> so, and that's the end of our movie. We go to our credits, but don't leave yet because we have a mid-credits scene. And it's funny, too, because when the credits rolled, I instantly in my head said, wait a minute, what about that other guy? And then we get the mid-credits scene. And what the mid-credits scene is, we see Henry Kessler, 
the original cancer patient who told John about the facility, he is now in a trap of his own. And we see John there, and basically uh, we see that the scar is gone from Henry's midsection, the scar that he showed him earlier in the movie. It's completely gone. There's no scar there. He asks Henry, where did your scar go? Henry instantly knows he's fucked. So he starts pleading for his life. And literally, out of nowhere, fucking Detective Hoffman walks out from behind uh, Henry's body that's hanging there. Because he's hanging up off the ground. And he's got this contraption attached to his chest. And it looks like it's a bunch of surgical blades connected to like these little, almost like spider legs that look like they're kind of clawing at the at the guy's stomach. But then the scene just ends with Hoffman basically saying, wow, of all the people you would you could rip off, you decided to rip off Jigsaw. Bad choice. And the movie just kind of ends from there. The scene kind of spirals out like a saw blade, and that's the end of our film. That is Saw X, my friends. And... I am here for it. I fucking that may be one of my longest walkthroughs ever, and it was probably just because of how much I love this movie, and I literally saw it two days in a row. So yeah, I remember so much about it. But yeah, I loved it. And uh, like I said, if you're a Saw fan, if you're a hardcore fan of this franchise, I don't think there's any reason you won't enjoy this movie for one reason or another. You may not enjoy it as much as I did, where it's going to be potentially a top ten candidate for the year, but I think it's going to make most Saw franchise fans happy. So, yeah, high recommend from me. See it in theaters. I know there's a lot of horror in theaters now, and we got a lot more coming. So if you can afford it, I would say Saw is one of the ones that you should see in October. So that's it for me. Back to you, Mike. I was alluding to in the general thoughts was uh, the uh, the blood <laughs> – Aborting. Um, it was cool, but like I was like, that's a hell of a calculation to think you would even survive that shit. <laughs> I mean, it, well, it I would imagine, comes, especially the kid. <laughs> well, I don't think that. Don't forget, the kid wasn't part of the equation. I, th- I think Jigsaw probably anticipated that they would put Amanda in the other side of that trap because they would be the only two left. Um, I, I think the kid was just. I mean, because John even makes the comment of, "Oh, that was unexpected." You know, that's an unexpected consequence. They didn't expect Carlos to be around there. Um, so obviously, with Amanda and Jigsaw in the trap, they could have just taken turns hitting the lever until the other two decided to go and look for the money. Because as soon as they pulled the bag and it set the timer off. The trap that John and Carlos were in instantly just stopped and, you know, lifted up and basically uh, Amanda was able to open up her her shackles because as it turns out, since they knew what was going on, they actually did have spare keys on them. So she was able to get out of her shackles uh, without having to wait for Parker to come back, who obviously doesn't come back because he's now dead on the floor. But yeah, I mean, like I said, this movie just works for me. Everything about it worked. The the guilty pleasure, the 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 vindictiveness of it. I mean, it's like they made this movie for me, and I'm glad. So yeah, Saw X is a winner for me, or Saw Ten, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> yeah, I guess technically because that the doctor survives, they could almost, if they really wanted to, they could do a sequel to this. 
almost like a wrapping up loose or tying up loose ends sequel where it still yeah. takes place in that in the same timeline and he maybe he tracks her down or maybe even she tries to go after him. Um, just because they she has that vindictiveness in her. So like there's room to at least explore that, um, because of the timeline. So we'll I mean, maybe that's why they left her because usually unless someone's like becoming his disciple or they're continuing the story. They're not just going to have someone like randomly survive like that. So maybe when they were writing this, they had that in mind, like, Hey, if it's financially successful, we have like a ready-made sequel involving yeah. her. Exactly. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm there for it too. If, if, uh, if Dr. Peterson comes back as an antagonist, I'm there. I'm ready. <laughs> Yeah, All right, she Jenny comes back as a, uh, things don't. Oh, well, she comes. <laughs> oh, there you go. <laughs> I was gonna say, if she comes back as the protagonist, then we're gonna have questions. If she's like, like on Jigsaw side, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if she comes back on Jigsaw side, then I'm gonna have questions. But yeah, that doesn't seem. Uh, yeah, I, I don't think she would be. Her mentality when when Jigsaw leaves her there is of straight rage and. I think all she's seeing is vengeance in her eyes. I mean, if if she survived that, yeah, there's no way she's going to be a disciple. Uh, I think I think disciples are more the people that pass their games. But I mean, she didn't really get to play her game. I mean, I guess her game was just you know her and Peterson fighting for the one you know spot for them to breathe clear air out of. But that seemed more like a struggle than an actual game. So yeah, yeah I, I don't see her ever being a disciple. I hope not. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. Overall, it, it's a lot better than I remember it. But yeah, yeah, I'm still pretty much right where I was at the beginning. So yeah. And I mean, we got moderate success with this one. It looks like it's sitting at 18 million domestic for the weekend. So that's pretty good for a horror movie, anyway. Yeah, I think it was like yeah. around 30 million international. Uh, yeah, it might have been. Yeah, I can't. Where? Oh, there it is. Worldwide. Oh, I don't have. Uh, international numbers here. I just got domestic numbers right now. But I yeah, think the yeah, last I mean, time I saw right. it was a, the last time I saw it was yesterday and it was at 29 so it's got to be like over 30 now. Yeah, that makes sense. Which means, yeah, so it already made its money back so that's good. Um, oh yeah. And yeah, the thing about these Saw movies, it's like they're they're usually not that expensive. They're kind of like that mid-tier yeah. budget. So uh and yeah, because usually a lot of the times it's like a centralized location, not a tiny cast, but a small cast at least. So, um, oh, I uh, the budget's even I smaller than I thought it was. I would have guessed the budget for this to be at around eighteen, but the budget's at thirteen million. Not bad. Yeah, definitely not expensive yeah. to record a saw movie, film a saw <laughs> movie. Excuse me. I wasn't too far off. I figured ten. I would have guessed 15 to 18. That's what I was leaning towards. But 13, yeah, that makes sense. It's not like there's any big-name stars in here. With advertising, I would have seen 15 easily, but I I figured like 10 for the actual production. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. All right. Well, we survived Jigsaw's traps for this episode, so... Now that we are free, let's uh, talk about anything we've uh, been on or need to promote since our last episode. So, Venom, do you got anything? All right. Um, not much. Uh, still for No More Room in Hell presents Creature Comforts. Episode 19 is our latest episode where we look at 20 million miles to Earth. 
I have a couple of guest spots with Gary Hill on Cinema Beef coming up this coming weekend. Uh, we're going to be looking at a pair of surf movies, of all things. We're going to be looking at Surf Nazis Must Die, the classic trauma movie from 1988. And then we're also going to be looking at Surf 2, the end of the trilogy, uh, starring Eric Stoltz and Eddie Deason in what is an absolutely one of the most ridiculous zombie movies I've ever seen. Um, I highly recommend this movie. I'm not saying that it's good. I'm saying it needs to be experienced. <laughs> I've never seen so many surfing montages in my life, and the movie is barely about surfing. It's more about the zombies. But aside from that, look out for those. Those are actually going to be two separate episodes that I do with Gary Hill on Cinema Beef, so look out for those two. Um, obviously, when they're out um, and listenable, I will let everyone know. Um, I do have a guest spot on uh, Cut to the Chase. I know all three of us do, coming up for Thrills and Chills. I'll let the other guys talk about their appearances. I will be discussing um, Tales from the Crypt presents Bordello of Blood, the second Tales mm. from the Crypt live-action horror movie after Demon Knight. Uh, I love Demon Knight, too. Uh, I, I, you know, so... Um, I don't remember much about Bordello of Blood, so I'm going to have to give that a rewatch before my appearance, but obviously that'll be sometime before October, and that's pretty much, oh, well, we got the main show, right, uh, episode what? What's the latest one 50, that got recorded? 56. 56 just got recorded this past weekend where we looked at my picks. I decided to look at a pair of uh, Ryuhei's uh, Kitamura's movies, so we looked at 2000's Versus, and we looked at 2003's Origami, um, two r movies that are solidly in the martial arts genre, but both of them are horror-adjacent, one more so than the other, obviously, or when you actually see them, but um, both movies are available on YouTube if you want to check out those films before the episode comes out. Um, and Origami is actually available in English and Japanese on YouTube, and they're pretty good transfers, too. So it's a movie that I would recommend everyone check out. If you're a martial arts fan um, uh, or just a drama, like a, like a character-driven, dramatic um, film fan, I would also recommend Origami. But, yeah, that's the latest episode. Not quite out yet, but will be very soon. And then um, I think that's everything I have lined up. Uh, we, we don't have the next episode of Creature Comforts lined up yet, so I'm not sure what we're – well, I know what movie we're doing, but I'm not sure when we're recording. So um, that's it for me, guys. All right, Don, how about you? Yeah, uh, the only thing um, – uh, the main thing I have is, uh, as Venom mentioned, Cut to the Chase presents Thrills and Chills. Where um, I have uh, Exorcist 3, which uh, is probably going to be a fun time. Uh, the only other thing worth mentioning is uh, Season 2 of Horror Countdown, as uh, the show is uh, concluded for the year. And I'm not recording anything until either December or January. So uh, go ahead and look back on uh, all the stuff I've recorded throughout the uh, current year and uh, give that some extra listens. Because, uh, like I said last time, uh, they're a little lower on average than season one. But, uh, yeah, other than that, I don't have much. Okay. As far as I go, it's just the main show, No More Room Hell 56. That will be out sometime later this week. 
usually that and, and like whatever the new episode of Fresh Cuts, which is this one, get recorded within like days of each other. And I get the fresh cuts out first just because it's a much quicker edit. So uh, if you're listening to this, then that probably means No More Roman Hell is on the way in a couple days. So look forward to that. And that's it for me. I mean, I do have something scheduled. Or I don't have it scheduled yet. But, yeah, I guess the parents on Thrills and Chills. Um, but uh, as far as our next episode, is Exorcist that one this week? Yep. Yep. Wow. The sixth. Sorry here. <laughs> uh, yeah, we actually okay, have then. two big movies. We got two big releases this week. We got The Exorcist in theaters, but we also have the new VHS movie dropping on Shudder, which you guys know I, I fucking love that franchise. So obviously we're going to do The Exorcist. I, I can't imagine we're going to bypass a sequel to potentially one of the greatest horror movies ever made. But I, you know, I'm just throwing it out there that VHS is also out I... there. This will be the yeah, first time I'm, you miss it. <laughs> I'm fine recording on Wednesday or Thursday to cover that one. I'm down too. Yeah, we can do two episodes. I'm yeah, always like I said, I, for you, I'm willing to record either Wednesday or Thursday to get that one in for you. Nice. Yeah. Maybe we'll I, do both. I kind of, well, I I don't want to make any conclusive statements about this exorcist one coming out because it, it's going to get the chance that it, it's going to get. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't mind doing VHS as well. <laughs> so, yeah, we'll, we'll we'll try to figure it out, see what we yeah, can Yeah, your persuasive skills have won us over, Venom. Look at it that way. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, all right, cool. Well, thank you, everybody, for listening to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. We will be back with another episode or two possibly this coming up week so uh watch out for those but until then let's say bye to our listeners later if you're gonna rip off somebody don't rip off jigsaw jeez (laughs) yeah and uh if you're if you happen to find yourself in one of jigsaw's traps and he gives you three minutes to get out don't waste a minute and a half saying how you're not going to participate (laughs) <laughs> Later on, folks. Peace.